0: Many tourists who come to New South Wales, the east coast of Australia, say they've found paradise. The climate is well nigh perfect. The food is abundant. There's very little crime. It has one of the highest standards of living on the face of the planet. They say, at last, we have found an earthly paradise. But you'll notice behind me there is a cemetery because people die in this earthly paradise. It tells us what the problem of the human race is. Because of sin we're all destined to die. But one day Jesus is going to return and He's going to set up a real paradise on this earth and there'll be no more death. I'm John Carter in Sydney, Australia. Welcome today to the Carter Report. Beverly and I will soon be on our way again to Russia and Ukraine. This will be my 27th visit, and uh, Daniel Burgers, young man who works in our ministry, is coming with us also. We're going to visit these places: Moscow for a great combined meeting, Nizhny Novgorod, where we're going to spend Christmas with our believers, thousands of them then a 23-hour journey by train to St. Petersburg, where we're going to have a big combined meeting. Then we're going to fly down to uh, Ukraine. It's going through a little time of crisis. And I'm going to have a combined meeting in the great city of Kiev. Great combined meeting there. Combined meetings in cities such as Odessa, got to think of them now, Zaporozhye, Nepropetrosk, I think that's it. It's nine cities. Also up in Russia, we're going to be visiting the most polluted city in that part of the world. That is the city of Dzinsk. It's named after the founder of the KGB. I've thought for a long time, what am I going to say to these people? And folks say to me, why do you go at this time of the year when over there it's so dreadfully cold? We're going to travel hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of miles by, by, by car, motor car, and the roads will be icy, lots and lots of snow, sub-zero temperatures. Why do we go? We go by the grace of God to light a candle in the darkness. Amen. We go to help people who are poor. We go to help people who are sick. I'll be taking money with me, cash. And passing it out not just willy-nilly but I'll be passing it out to help people who've got genuine needs and I'm going to have a message and my message is going to be a message of hope and I'm going to talk on this subject the best is yet to be because I believe whatever our circumstances in life even if we're facing surgery For cancer, even if we've lost our money on the stock exchange, even if we've lost loved ones because of a terrorist attack, the best is yet to be. And that's the theme of my talk in this church service today. Now my talk today is going to be different to the talk I'm going to give in Russia and Ukraine But the theme is going to be basically the same. The best is yet to be. And today we're going to conclude our series on the book of Daniel. We've gone right through that book, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And today we're going to turn to Daniel chapter 12. And the topic is, the best is yet to be. Would you please turn in your Bibles to the book of Daniel chapter 12. We're going to start right at the head of the chapter. You'll see Bibles in the pews. People who come to this church are people who believe in getting it from the Word of God. The Bible says, at that time, Michael, the great prince who protects your people will arise. There will be a time of distress such as has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. If you cast back your mind to the time when I spoke from Daniel chapter 11, Daniel 11 describes the attack of the Antichrist upon the church in the last days. It talks about the king of the north coming against the city of Jerusalem. And in this passage, the city of Jerusalem represents the church of the living God. Would you look at Daniel 11, verse 45, because it gives us the context. Daniel 11, 45. He will pitch, this is the Antichrist, pitch his royal tents between the seas at the beautiful holy mountain. Yet he will come to his end and no one will help him. This verse here describes an attack upon Jerusalem or Israel and in the New Testament which interprets this prophecy, Israel doesn't represent the land of Palestine over there in the Middle East doesn't represent literal Jerusalem, it represents the church. And so the Bible teaches, there comes a time in the history of the world when it's midnight and the Antichrist comes down like a wolf upon the fold and comes down to attack the church. It appears that evil will conquer, that evil will win and the church will be destroyed. Then the Bible says Michael stands up and there's a great time of trouble and the Bible tells us that the people of God whose names are found written in the book will be delivered. The name Michael is a very significant name. It means he who is like God. Michael in the Scriptures is another name for the Lord Jesus Christ who is the commander OF THE HEAVENLY HOST. SO THE BIBLE SAYS, WHEN THINGS ARE AT THEIR WORST IN THE WORLD, MICHAEL COMES TO THE AID OF HIS PEOPLE. IS THAT GOOD NEWS? I'M GLAD TO KNOW THAT WE HAVE A PROTECTOR, AND HE IS THE SON OF GOD. I WANT TO TELL YOU FOLKS A LITTLE STORY. WHEN I WAS A LITTLE BOY OF SIX YEARS OF AGE, I STARTED SCHOOL AND I WENT TO A LITTLE SCHOOL, OH, IT WASN'T SUCH A LITTLE SCHOOL, IT WAS A BIG SCHOOL IN THE CITY OF Brisbane IN QUEENSLAND. THE NAME OF THE SCHOOL WAS THE Balimba SCHOOL. WHEN I WENT BACK THERE SOME TIME AGO, I WENT BACK THERE AND THE SCHOOL LOOKED EXACTLY THE SAME. I WENT AND SAW THE HEADMASTER BECAUSE I HAD SORT OF BEEN THINKING OF THE HEADMASTER OF THAT SCHOOL BECAUSE WHEN I WAS A LITTLE BOY HE GAVE ME A BEATING. BUT I CAN REMEMBER GOING TO THIS SCHOOL AS A LITTLE BOY. FIRST DAY AT SCHOOL. WHAT A TRAUMA IT IS. AND I CAN REMEMBER THE SCHOOL BULLY PICKED ON ME. YOU KNOW WHAT you GOT TO DO WHEN THE BULLY PICKS ON YOU? YOU KNOW WHAT you GOT TO DO? you GOT TO STAND UP. NEVER GIVE IN TO A BULLY. NEVER GIVE IN TO A BULLY. SO I STOOD UP. And I had a fight with the school bully in the sandpit. I still remember the sandpit. And I remember the bully's nose bleeding profusely. And I had two people who were cheering me on. My sisters, (laughs) (laughs) Margaret and Patricia, my big sisters. If I hadn't given the bully a blood nose, they would have. It's a wonderful thing to have someone who looks after you. I want you to know today we have somebody who looks after us. And his name is Michael and he's the great prince that stands up to deliver God's people. The Bible says in this passage, I want you to listen carefully to these things. These things are important. The Bible says that there is a time of trouble such as never was. the Bible teaches in this passage and other passages that the church is on the earth during the time of trouble now I know lots of folks are going to write me letters and say haven't you heard of the rapture I say sure I've heard of it but don't you believe all these books like left behind I say no I don't (laughs) why don't you because the authors themselves say these books are fiction People read this stuff and they think it's for real. But the Bible says there is a time of trouble and the church is on the earth and Michael stands up and delivers the church. I want you to notice this text again, Daniel 12 verse 1. Look at it in the Bible. At that time when the Antichrist comes against the church, Michael the great prince who protects your people will arise there will be a time of distress. Such has not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. Listen to me. I've met lots of people in my own denomination who don't believe in the judgment. They say there's no such thing as a pre-advent judgment. But this text tells me there is because the God of heaven searches in the book to see if our names are in the book. There is an investigation. The king comes in to see the guests, to see if they're wearing the wedding garment. This text talks about a judgment before Christ returns. The question that you should ask is this. This is an important question. I should ask the question, is my name in the book? What about you? Is your name written down in the book, my friend? Have you got your name in the Lamb's book of life? Because if it's not in the book of life, you're not going to be delivered. You get what I'm saying? We need to ask the searching question. Is my name in the book? Is my name written there on the page white and fair? A lady wrote to me this week, an elderly lady, and she said, Pastor Carter, I've had a relative who has been cremated. Does this mean that he is lost? She said, I can't believe in cremation because I don't read about it in the Bible. And she said, does this mean that this loved one of mine is lost because he was cremated? Let me tell you all all something after we've been dead for a generation or two, unless you've been mummified like King Tut, there's nothing really left. What about the people I said to her in Revelation chapter 20? You don't need to turn to that, but in Revelation 20, it talks about the sea giving up the dead. If you were lost at sea a thousand years ago, How much of you is lost? You go into the sea and the fish will eat you. Humanly speaking, there's nothing left at all. But the question is, is your name in the book? If your name in the book, you don't have to be concerned for a moment. I was reading an article this week. It said... It doesn't take very long for people to forget you. Even people who praise you and call you friend, when you're gone, they'll forget you. Is this true? You know it's true. But God will never forget you. He hasn't forgotten Adam, has he, who died Thousands and thousands of years ago. He hasn't forgotten St. Paul. And he hasn't forgotten Daniel. Because their names are written in the book. I was reading through an article this week. Let me see what it is. I think it is Newsweek. And it is dated December 20. It's entitled, A Lesser Form of Immortality. It'll do. No, it won't do. Unless you've got the real thing, it won't do at all. This man talks about the fact that when a person dies, it doesn't take long and people will forget you. If the Lord doesn't come, we will all die and people will forget us very, very quickly. It's true. He quotes Shelley, a great poet who wrote in 1888, the sonnet, Ozymandias. It's a great poem. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, too vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand half sunk a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command tell that a sculptor well those passions red which yet survive. Stamped on these lifeless things. The hand that mocked them and the heart that fed And on the pedestal these words appear, I am Ozymandias, king of kings, look on my works, ye mighty, and despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. Nothing else remains. Ozymandias? Well, it wasn't Ozymandias at all. We think it was one of the Tutmos kings. I've been there and I've seen the statue. But when Shelley wrote this, nobody knew who the person was because he had been forgotten. Mark this well. Do not be disillusioned but people are quick to forget. We remember the things that we should forget and we forget the things that we should remember. But God has got a great mind. I don't know what his book is. God has got a great mind. And no person is lost. No person is ever forgotten. Look at Daniel 12 verse 2. Multitudes who sleep in the dust of the earth will awake, some to everlasting life, others to shame and everlasting contempt. Would you please think of these words? Everlasting life. At the end of time there's going to be a resurrection. In fact, there'll be two resurrections. The resurrection of the saved and the resurrection of the damned and the saved are, are raised for everlasting life and the lost are raised for shame and everlasting contempt. I ask you today, what resurrection are you going to be a part of? Think of, think of it. What resurrection? What resurrection? I was thinking as I prepared this talk, what will heaven be like? I've been thinking a lot about heaven lately. Pause and think about heaven. The Bible says, and I could give you so many texts, that in heaven God's people will still be people. They'll not be spirits, but they'll be real people. The Bible says the words, Jesus said blessed are the meek for they shall inherit the earth. The Bible tells us that we are going to have bodies the same as Christ's resurrected body. And Christ's body after the resurrection was not a spirit body but it was a body of flesh and bones and Jesus ate fish. And Jesus drank grape juice. Jesus was a real person. I do not believe in the nonsense that teaches, and you can see it in all the cartoons, about people sitting on fluffy white clouds, and you can see through them, and they're strumming harps. This is not the Bible. The Bible talks about, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth, the earth renewed and made in the glory of God. The Bible says, the people in heaven are going to have real occupations. The Bible actually says, they will build houses. How nice. I love experience building a house, designing a house, saying, I'm going to have the bathroom there, I'm going to have the kitchen there. Don't you think in heaven we're going to have kitchens? Of course we're going to have kitchens. And uh, bathrooms. That's the thought for you, isn't it? (laughs) They're going to build houses and uh, inhabit them. They're going to Plant trees and vineyards and they're going to eat the fruit of the trees because they are going to be real people doing real things in fact the Saints of God in heaven are going to fly around the universe and visit other galaxies other planets I would like to be in heaven when heaven is on this earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. No sin will be there. Therefore, if there is no sin, there is no disease. Oh, what a terrible, terrible thing sin has done to the human being. When we think of the diseases, cancer, that comes to the innocent man or woman so very often. But in heaven... There will be no sin and no Satan and no disease and no cancer. I think of some people because of hormonal problems who struggle every day with depression. But in heaven there will be no depression. No heartache and no sorrow and no death. And the Bible talks about Those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Therefore, I believe that the dead are sleeping exactly as Jesus taught. As Daniel taught. As all the Bible writers taught. I believe that the old poem, the old hymn that we used to sing in better days of spirituality is true. That the mossy Old graves where the pilgrims sleep shall be opened as wide as before, and the millions that sleep in the mighty deep shall live on this earth once more because he's coming again. And so nobody is lost, nobody is forgotten even if you're burnt in a great fire, even if you are lost at sea, even if your body turns to dust and nothing is left. The first funeral I took was a funeral of a Mr. Oliver. When I was the pastor of my first church, the Church of Parks. What precious memories I have of the Parks Church in south New South Wales, in western south New South Wales. <laughs> there was a wonderful member of my church who was about 90 years of age and the old man had a, a horse and a cart. We would call it a sulky. Have you heard of a sulky? Ah. Ah. I'm glad one or two have. A sulky, that was like a cart. And as this old man was traveling along the road with all the motor cars, a young man accidentally ran into the cart and he was killed. His son, who became a minister and my assistant, (laughs) came to me and said, Because I was the pastor of the church. I was 25 years of age. And he said, have you ever taken a funeral before? He doubted my ability. I doubted it too. But I told him, I have prepared Ted. I have read the church manual. I'm ready to go. He said, well, God bless you. So we buried this old man. That was my first funeral. Something else I remember from that funeral. The horse was 32 years old. Is there a horse in this great land of the United States that has attained to the age of this Australian horse? 32 years old. But that's got nothing to do with the sermon. What has to do with the sermon is that this old saint of God had his name in the Lamb's book. He's not lost. He's not Forgotten. There are two resurrections, all are going to be raised. There is no escaping all oh, the tragedy of dying lost because all you have to look forward to is shame and everlasting contempt. And so if you walk out of this church today and your name is not written in the book and you are killed, the next thing is shame, everlasting contempt and fire. I would fear to leave this church unless I knew for a certainty that my name was written in the book. What say you? And it's awful to be lost and so near home. On the east coast of Australia where sometimes I visit, many, many years ago there was a ship fighting its way to the port. And there was a mother and a wife waiting for the father of her children, her husband. And there was a tremendous storm. And as the ship came in the harbor, it was taken by the waves and dashed against the rocks. When they brought the news to the wife that the man had been lost, she cried out, lost, lost, and so close to home. What a tragedy if some of us in this church, so close to home, are lost because we do not bother with God's commandments anymore we worship the one-eyed monster in the living room is it a thing to laugh about is not a thing to laugh about my friend if you're lost so near to home and there will be those like that many daniel 12 verse 3 those who are wise will shine like the brightness of the heavens and those who lead many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. The Hebrew word, the wise, is an interesting word because it should be translated, preferably, those who teach. Those who teach the everlasting gospel. You see, when a person is saved, when a person knows the gospel, he wants to pass it on, he wants to communicate the gospel. The reason people do not communicate the gospel is because they do not have the gospel, you see. But when a person has the gospel, he wants to communicate it. Those who are wise. If you know the gospel, you will want to share it in a constructive way. And it says, those who are wise. What is the difference between knowledge and wisdom? Is there a difference? Why, bless your heart, this land is full of knowledge. The church is full of knowledge. But where is the wisdom? Wisdom is a gift from God. I have attended church functions where people play a a game called Bible trivia. And some people were very skilled in knowing who was the son of so-and-so, who was the son of so-and-so. Personally, I am not concerned because trivia is not wisdom. Wisdom is knowing how to live. The Bible talks here about the wise And it says, they're going to shine like the stars. It was once thought by all of us that the stars were only a few thousand years old. Did you know in this great land of the United States there is still a flat earth society? Did you know this? There are some 10,000 members of the Flat Earth Society, including doctors and ministers who believe that the earth is flat and that man never got to the moon. It was done with mirrors. Ignorance is very, very hard to beat. But the Bible says, The righteous and the wise are going to shine like the stars. For how long? Forever and ever. We know it is a fact. Through the discoveries of the great Hubble Space Telescope and other wonders, we know that the stars are millions of years old. Some of them are billions of years old. How would you like it if God said you're going to shine like the stars and the stars are 5,000 years old? (laughs) God's people, after a million years, will say this is just the start. And they're going to live not for a million, but for a billion. In this life, we live 70, 80 some 90 but God's people are going to live for eternity that is why my message is the best is yet to be the best is yet to be and notice verse 4 but you Daniel close up and seal the words of the scroll until the time of the end many will go here and there to increase knowledge the Bible teaches that the prophecies of Daniel, or some of those prophecies, were sealed until the last days. And when it says they'll run to and fro, it's not talking about running to and fro in motor cars. It's talking about running to and fro in the Scriptures. Searching the Scriptures. You see, the people of God will be running to and fro in the Scriptures. They'll be searching the Scriptures. One of the greatest problems that we have in the world today is spiritual laziness. People like funny stories, but they're not searching the scriptures. But in the last days, God is going to have a people running to and fro, not to the mall, but running to and fro in the scriptures. And so the Bible says that the great prophecies concerning the judgment. And the last days were concealed until the time of the end. And we are now living in the time of the end. Notice verses five and onwards. Then I, Daniel, looked and there before me stood two others. Two others, yes. One on this bank of the river and one on the other bank. One of them said to the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be? before these astonishing things are fulfilled. If you have two others, now you have three heavenly visitors. The Bible says, in the mouths of two or three witnesses, every word will be established. And so three heavenly beings come to confirm the prophecy. And the question is asked, how long is God going to allow this to go on for? Haven't you sometimes wondered this? How long until God brings it to an end? Notice verses 6 and 7. How long will it be before these astonishing things are fulfilled? Now verse 7. The man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river lifted his right hand and his left hand toward heaven. And I heard him swear by him who lives forever, saying, It will be for a time, times, and half a time, when the power of the holy people has been finally broken, all these things will be completed. The Bible here, my friend, refers to the great time of persecution. Persecution. It refers to the 1260 years when church and state joined together to persecute the people of God. And then the angel says after this time period which came to its climax in the year 1798 then these things will be completed. And perhaps I say perhaps these days are yet to be repeated but in literal days verses 8 and onwards I heard but I did not understand so I said my Lord what will be the outcome of all this he replied go your way Daniel because the words are closed up and sealed until the time of the end that was until 1798 many will be purified made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. Listen to this. The Bible says it comes upon the church and upon the world a great time of trouble. And when this great time of trouble has run its course, then everything is going to be finished and Michael is going to stand up. I wish I could look you in the eye today and say, there will never be tribulation for the church. In fact, we have a hymn that we sing about the church. And we sing it so presumptuously that we say the words of the hymn, save your church from tribulation. It is one of our great hymns. Save us, Lord, from tribulation. But the Bible says there is no end to tribulation until the Lord returns. Now I'll tell you why. Would you like to know why the Lord sends us tribulation? Why does he do this? Let me tell you a story. It is set in Great Britain after the bombing by the Nazis. A great cathedral had been destroyed. This man had lost his family in the the war with the Nazis. And he was working on this cathedral, helping to rebuild it. And he was shaping this piece to fit right at the very top of the spire. And as he worked on it, his heart was filled with anxiety, Filled with sorrow because he thought his wife was gone, his children were gone. And a man came along out of idle curiosity. He said, friend, what are you doing? "Ah," He said, you see the top of the spire on the cathedral? Well, this little piece is going to fit in up there. I'm shaping it down here. So it will fit in up there. And he thought to himself, now I understand. God is shaping me down here to fit in up there. Sometimes the only way that God can get our attention is through trouble. We are so spiritually blind, I'm talking about myself. We are so dense in our hearts and in our heads that sometimes God has to come to us and shake us and shake us and uh, in the pain we are led to seek his face. He's shaping us down here to fit in up there. Perhaps the greatest preacher since the Apostle Paul I'm told by some scholars and I'm inclined to believe it was Charles Haddon Spurgeon the great British preacher. In one of his sermons he said the words our best days are often our worst days and in the darkness we see stars that we would never see in the light. So God sends to the church tribulation so that we will see the stars. Notice verse 10. Many will be purified, made spotless and refined, but the wicked will continue to be wicked. See, suffering doesn't help the wicked. None of the wicked will understand, but those who are wise will understand. None of the wicked will understand. Listen to me. I want to share something with you. I want it to sink into your heart. The truth of the gospel is supernaturally revealed. The wicked cannot understand the scriptures. They cannot understand the gospel. They will take the Bible, they'll read it, maybe, and they will laugh at it. They will think it's funny. They will think it's a joke. They will read about the blood atonement. They will sneer about the blood atonement. They'll hear about the virgin birth and they'll sneer about the virgin birth. The Bible says that the wicked cannot understand because the wicked is spiritually blind. But the Bible says that the wise will understand and God can give us wisdom to understand. I want you to know today, if we want to be saved, we can be saved and God can open up our hearts to understand. Otherwise, we're as dumb as the beasts of the field. But as we sit here today, if we open up our hearts to God, he will send a shaft of light into our souls and we will be saved because we understand. But we've got to open up. So the Bible says that the church is divided over this issue some understanding the gospel, and some being like the beasts of the field. We must open up our hearts to God. Verse 11. From the time that the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,335 days. These are deep verses, but we understand some of these things. When it talks about the daily sacrifice it's referring to the truth of the sacrifice of Christ for our sins. And the daily sacrifice is used here as a term for the everlasting gospel which is about the blood of Christ. And the Bible said that the daily sacrifice would be taken away And in the place of the daily sacrifice there would be the abomination that causes desolation. What does this mean? Well, there came a time in the history of the church when the gospel was taken away. How was the gospel taken away? Ah. There came a teaching Best revealed in the Council of Trent, that mighty Roman Catholic council with all the great scholars of the world. And they said, a man is saved by grace alone. Never think that that church does not believe in grace. Grace alone, through faith, plus the works of love wrought in the heart by the Holy Spirit. And virtually everybody who hears that says, Amen, praise the Lord, I believe it. It is the abomination of desolation. Because, the Bible says, we're saved by Christ alone, uh, grace alone, faith alone, not by our works, but by Christ alone. You see, if you're depending upon your good works, even done with the help of of the Holy Spirit, your soul will be turned into an abomination that causes desolation. Because instead of looking to Christ, we look to ourselves. This destroys. Instead of Christ, it's ourselves. That was the doctrine that was taught in the Middle Ages that destroyed the world. does so today. There's only one gospel that can save, the gospel of Christ alone. Grace alone, faith alone and works the fruitage of salvation. Over there in Sydney, there is a wonderful hospice for the sick and the dying. In that hospice comes all types of people. Some people die with great fear in their hearts, fearing the flame, because they do not have the true gospel. They have a counterfeit gospel. But there are other simple Christians who die praising God because they believe that we're saved, not because we're good enough, but because Christ is good enough. And he died for us. Concerning those time periods, the day that cometh shall declare it. Verse 13, as for you, go your way till the end. You will rest. and Then at the end of the days you will rise to receive your allotted inheritance. Can you visualize this? Daniel is an old, old man. The angel says to him, go your way, Daniel. You're going to rest. But you're going to rise and receive your allotted inheritance. Like the apostle Paul would to God we could all say these words. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness. And to the person who can say those words, the best is yet to be. Therefore, my friends, rejoice. Be glad, look up, believe, fight the good fight, finish the course, wear the crown, the best is yet to be, amen.